1: All right, welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the, book, in the world of books and reading. Today is Thursday, October 7, 2021. I'm Jeff O'Neill. Today I'm joined by Danica Ellis, who I think this is your first time on the show. I don't think you've sat in with me before. Have you sat in with Rebecca before, Danica? No, this is my first time. This is your first time. Danica, is what, Danica, you're a Canadian. Uh, mm-hmm. You like books. You're an editor here at yeah. Book Riot. You often record with Lib, um, yes. doing all the book stuff. That's probably mm-hmm. if you've heard her before, you've heard her over there. But it's her first time on this show, and I've got specific Danica-related questions. I also got you know, our normal <laughs> roundup, roundup of stuff to do. Were, were you nervous when I told you I had specific Danica things? Or was that, was that liberating? Was that exciting? Was that, what, what was that?
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my Today's episode is brought to you by SourceBooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. yeah i mean if we're gonna talk
0: about book talk then i'm excited because i find it fascinating
1: <laughs> yeah it is fascinating i've dipped my toe in um very little uh to mm-hmm. book talk as as sharifa and some of the book write editors and including danica have been messing around with book talk a little bit a uh, book write mm-hmm. a tiktok account which has been super fascinating and terrifying and uh i feel like well i'll save it for when we uh, get to actually talking <laughs> about, but we could. I think we could do a whole episode. Like uh, you could have a whole Probably. podcast that's just like the goings and comings of uh, book talk uh, mm-hmm. itself. But before we do that, I know we've been doing this a lot, and uh, it's it's good, it's exciting. But we're spending more time talking about new gigs that are available. If you're interested in coming work, working for Book Riot, um, this one is an advertising sales manager. It's a full time job. Uh, it's open till October 24th. Long and short of it is this is someone who sells advertising for book riot you speak largely to publishers but some other clients too about what titles and products and services they want to advertise tell them about our products um help close individual deals you've heard podcast ads on this and a whole bunch of other podcasts you would help make sure that those things are there uh and you know talk to clients about what's a good fit for what we do and learn about our products learn about what we do and our in our values um so that's the deal. It's a sales position. So you would be working with of a lot of different products, you'd be touching a lot of parts of what the company here makes. Really interesting things, especially interesting if you like books and comics. But you don't have to. It's interesting if you've done sales before. But frankly, you don't have to have had a sales position before. You probably should be motivating by liking make money. You should probably be one to work in digital advertising and um, for a company that's small and committed to workforce inclusivity. Strongly encourage strongly encourage people. Uh, applications from women, individuals with disabilities, and people of color. It includes a healthcare plan, retirement, 160 hours of annual PTO. Just some of the benefits you can find there. Visit bookriot.com/join-us. There'll be a link in the show notes. That's a dash. That's the punctuation mark, not spelling out dash. Apparently, that's been confusing before. Um, but a but a good job. Uh, at a company that i that i like so come work with us and you can tell us what the podcast ads we're going to need to do the reads for are all right um this is the top line news of the day we'll we'll take care of this rebecca and i'll probably circle around to it again but the nobel prize in literature was awarded this morning um and i haven't even seen a pronunciation guide the last name is gurna that one i do know g-u-r-n-a abdul razek gurna who someone who lives in england but was a, what came, moved to um, England from Tanzania when he was young and has written largely largely, and most, I guess, awardedly for stories about refugees. I have actually read one book by Gurna. He won the, the Booker Prize in 1994, and I was thick in the middle of my trying to catch up with international literature stage, but Danik, I have to admit, I cannot remember a single thing about that book. <laughs> no. I can't remember anything.
0: I, yeah, this is the first time, I think, that I'm hearing about this author, so yeah. I don't have a lot of commentary yet.
1: Yeah, the book also weirdly was titled Paradise, which was the same title as Toni Morrison's 1998 book, which got the American side acclaim. So I think there's some SEO, like mind SEO problems with which books right. do not win. Um, it sounds like... There's a there's a bunch of interesting things to say. I'm going to try to find a copy of Paradise. I think I still have one, but you out there will not be able to find a copy of Paradise because it's not in print <laughs> in the US. There's not even ebooks of it right now wow. out available to buy. A Bloomsbury UK title. Um so this is one of those few cases I think where people are going to be find be able to find a book this fall that's not printing or shipping related. They just ain't mm-hmm. there. There's not even audiobooks. Um I guess uh PRH UK might have the rights to one of the audio, but the the rights aren't even there. The lifetime sales is, according to peace and publishers, lunch today. Lifetime sales of Gurna's work in the U.S. in print of all co- of all books, three thousand copies. So wow. suffice it to say, nowhere to go for, but up for name recognition, for in the U.S. at least for uh, Mister Gurna, which in a lot of ways is the ideal one of my ideal use cases of the Nobel Prize is yeah exactly like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Danica, do you read Nobel Prize winning? Would you go out and read a, a book by uh, Gurna just because you won the Nobel Prize? Are you that kind of reader? Not everyone is. I sometimes and sometimes are. are you more. Does this get your attention? How do you come down on? Oh, I've heard of this writer that's supposed to be famous now. Uh, are you interested or it's like I'll get to it if it sounds interesting.
0: It definitely is interesting to me, but usually I'll only read it if I already was somewhat yeah. interested. Then it will kind of take it over the top for me. But mm-hmm. my reading list, especially with all the books, man, it yes. really fills up the, uh, <laughs> the amount of books I could read in a month. So um, for- I would love to be able to keep up with, you know, all right. the big awards, but that's unlikely. That
1: Does it help you with all the books when you've got a billion things you could choose from and are in print and people could actually read next week as opposed to this book, which... I don't know. I'm sure someone is thrilled that their author won the book. And on the other hand, like, could you give us a six-weeks heads-up Nobel yeah. so we can have some copies um, available for, for this kind of author? Not a problem if it's, you know, I guess uh, Ishiguro or Alice Munro, especially in the U.S. Um, I wonder if in the U.K. if there's more copies of Gurna floating around, like the, or if there's just some sitting around at Waterstones or some other place like that. Um, be curious to know. But congratulations um, to Abdul, Abdul Razek Gurna, Uh, for the Mm -hmm. winning of the 2021 Nobel Prize, which exists, which is always going to be, we didn't know for a while if the Nobel Prize in literature was going to be a thing that was going to be around and people cared about. But I think we're kind of back back in the saddle a little bit there. All right, we're going to get to stuff we were more prepared to talk about this week. This just dropped this morning and I've done my very, very little bit of research, which includes remembering that I'd forgotten I read this book. That's the kind of deep (laughs) coverage you get here on Breaking News on the Book Riot podcast. Quick sponsor break and uh, we'll come back.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what, if they shenan once, They'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building, but turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, Rules are meant to be broken. Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So, this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out and thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers. So, this book I'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness. It's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in a spirit world. It follows Anzu, who's moved to a new town during Oban, a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors. Never since her Albachan died. Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness, Um, I'm super excited for this so make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness by Mai K Nguyen and thanks again to Penguin Young Readers for sponsoring this episode
1: All right, Danica Amanda was on Jen was on subbing in for Rebecca and I over the course of the summer I Mm -hmm. I prepped them a little bit and I I don't I didn't jump back into the agenda yet to see if you'd put anything in there favorite books of the year so far you're doing a bunch of all the books reading so you you are unlike me very attuned to what the books that have been new releases this year have been what has jumped out to you that you've encountered that's new this year
0: yeah I had obviously that's basically all I'm reading right now is yes. the new release I mean
1: you, I mean you're 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 trying to keep up with a thoroughbred right so you're, you're running yeah. as hard as you can over there with Lee. yeah that's definitely a thing.
0: <laughs> so one that is particularly relevant to October reading is Dowry of Blood by S.D. Gibson. Mm. I loved that one. I think it came out in February. And it's a retelling of Dracula's Brides uh, as a polyamorous, queer, horror, revenge novella. And it's dark and very atmospheric and very interesting. It begins the first chapter, so within the first few pages, is the main character killing who we understand to be Dracula. It doesn't actually use the word mm-hmm. Dracula. And then it kind of backtracks to how she, as Dracula's first bride, got there and why she kills him. And mm. yeah, I loved that one. And I think it would be a great October read.
1: It's a novella, so it's it's like, what, 120 ish pages, somewhere in that?
0: Yeah, I think range. it's under 200. It's okay. pretty short. Um, I also loved Milk Fed by Melissa Broder, which has to be a controversial pick. It's one of those books that you finish and you're like, man, people are not going <laughs> to like it. Some people are not going to like this, but I loved it. In particular way because it was also a very painful reading experience, (laughs) (laughs) which I know I'm really selling it, Um, it's basically about a woman with a pretty severe uh, eating disorder or really bad self-image, so her thoughts are completely around food and exercise and calorie restriction which is difficult to read about, but you really feel like you're in her head. And then she ends up falling in love with this very fat woman and kind of changing her ideas about food and eating. But it's also really weird. And... (laughs) Weird in ways that I don't know that I can completely talk about on the podcast.
1: Yeah, we, we have a rating we like to keep for, for the Apple podcast ecosystem. Yeah. I, <laughs> I haven't read this. I know enough about this because I saw the cover, and I think Rebecca and I talked about it sort of mm-hmm. offline. It is a – Danica, is it even suggestive or is it just that it's on what a in? It's a boob right it's yeah. essentially a boob oh, that also sure. kind of looks like ice cream maybe like yeah the meat cute is in a frozen yogurt stand or something if you can even call that's cute, uh, very yeah
0: but i would say that it is suggestive of frozen yogurt while being <laughs> textually
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah the subtext is yogurt showtime yeah <laughs> um <laughs> the the, the supra text the text the the ego text is uh mm-hmm. that's that's a boob uh, right there <laughs> um this is the kind of book i'm glad exists because i like experimental mm-hmm. stuff where people are messing with genre and food and love stories i'm not sure i'm gonna read this one to be quite honest with you dan i don't know that i'm this is this is for me i i, I like I, I is it lo- here's the thing is it long it's not long is it
0: it's not long no
1: okay 300 pages i could do that i could do that yeah. That's a commitment i could make
0: i don't even it's one of those books where i don't even know that i Recommend it necessarily? It's like no. I
1: know what you're talking about. It's a book yeah. I like. I'm not saying you should read it because I don't want to be held accountable exactly. for your experience Might <laughs> be.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's kind of one of those like in a way that kind of recommendation is almost more alluring because like I don't think you can handle mm-hmm. this. It's like you know yeah. people like eat spicy foods. It's like ah, you can't handle this hot sauce. So oh, I want to show you. I can. I can read milk fed. I can read about you know people having erotic <laughs> yogurt love fests. Um, can you? Well, let's try it on for size. Let's see. What, let's go.
0: Yeah, exactly. And did I Lib had... like this?
1: Did li- did like did Lib like this? Do you remember? Did she recommend this too?
0: I can't remember. I think that she recommended. Someone else I think was she... talking
1: about it, and I don't think it was you're yeah. not the only person I remember talking about.
0: I think she had conflicting thoughts yeah, about okay. it. If I remember, which it seems right. fair, which seems yeah. fair, at the very least,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's in stock. Which you know, right now um, is not. We're going to get to a story in a minute that. You can this one, you know, get your milk fed while it's ready. Uh, yeah, <laughs> here, here early in the holiday buying season. Um, that's a cool one. But Anything I'll, else, Danica?
0: Yeah, I'll also have some uh, more probably widely accessible. All right, fair recommendations. enough. Recommendations: Act Your Age, Eve Brown by Talia Hibbert. I just discovered Talia Hibbert recently. I know mm. I'm late, but she's amazing and has complete. I never was a big romance reader and mm. she has single-handedly shown me what the genre is capable of and I definitely recommend the audiobooks especially for the oh okay uh, cool second and third book the first one has a different narrator who I didn't enjoy as much but the second and mm. third books uh, including this one have an amazing narrator so I loved that one um, is it a
1: series I mean are they are they interconnected mm-hmm. stories are they or could you read them could you jump in with the third one do you know
0: you can definitely jump in. They're all from different sisters' points of view. I see. So I okay. started with the second one, uh, and I didn't feel like I was missing anything, okay, and then cool. I backtracked to the first one afterwards.
1: Mm. I wonder, too, I should get um, either Jess or Trish on or talk to them about the, the now, I don't think supremacy, but the full utility of the commercial paperback contemporary romance cover. Um mm-hmm. and the the Talia Hibbert and the Jasmine Guillory's. And I was reading um this summer I read One Last Thought by Casey McQuiston, which mm-hmm. do I, I get, so much about Capital R romance is people who know what the deal is, like you know you're gonna get a happily ever after. Right. And you can you can tell by the cover design even the kind of story or subgenre you're gonna get. I wonder if that's now applies to these you know what I'm talking about, right, Danica? These I, I don't even know how to describe yeah. these. I'm not a good visual they're, they tend to use a modern type font with brighter colors. They are not realistic depictions of people like the, a mm-hmm. classic clinch cover or something else like that or a Regency romance or something like this. But they have their own visual lexicon that if you become mm-hmm. fluent in it, I think you know what you're getting. But I wonder also if you're not fluent in it, it looks like it's a commercial fiction book that may not be capital yeah. romance, even if they are.
0: And they're all trade paperbacks too. Like right. they're not the what we call pocket paperback, mass market. Yeah. There we go, <laughs> mass market right. paperbacks. So they do look like they're kind of in between a book club cover and a romance mm-hmm. cover, and I right. think that's deliberate. Right. Uh, and they they do seem to be of a style. I don't know enough about romance in general to no, know if they. I are really different in content or if they're just kind of marketed that way.
1: Yeah. And they're contemporary romance, right? These are all contemporary Mm -hmm. romances. And so I don't know if a contemporary romance written in 1992 would look, would have its own visual language. Um, And then sometimes contemporary romance gets lumped in or women's fiction gets lumped in with it. So there's some blurriness of lines that, you know, it's, it's just interesting. Like I can see a book like this and I, could probably tell you what the tone is going to be, that's going to be contemporary. Um, I think that's interesting. It's it's mm-hmm. one of those things that I think when we first started doing book 10 years ago, I wouldn't have had that, even my own sense of what that book is actually all about. I put a, a story in here about the book blob cover, <laughs> um, which made the rounds recently, which I, I had noticed, um, I guess it was a couple years ago, we had a floral explosion on book covers. Do you remember right. that? Where everything yeah. was seemingly like close-up shots of bouquets of flowers where you couldn't even tell mm-hmm. it was a bouquet, it was just a bunch of flowers. And that is even more abstracted. It's kind of followed like sort of almost the um, the the realistic to Monet to abstract expressionism where we're now, we're not even pretending they're flowers. They're just giant blobs of color. Again, yeah. one that Rebecca and I talked about somebody's daughter. There's a whole bunch of them that's come out. Mm-hmm. And you know, you've seen it. They're They're friendly from Instagram. I thought that was an interesting piece. Some people think that maybe that does a disservice to the books. It kind of all lumps them in together. They're not visually distinct. Mm -hmm. that where some other covers are. On the other hand, sometimes books are trying to tell you something about what they are. What do you think Mm -hmm. about that? Is is there something there? I mean, we've definitely noticed the trend, but what else is there, Danica, that's interesting about that? If anything, maybe that's it. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's worth reading on on its own.
0: I think part of it, somebody pointed out, is that book covers are now being designed to be an inch-high graphic, so they have to be really abstract uh but the other thing that i think is interesting about this trend is people are pointing out that it is mostly women and authors of color and Mm. women authors of color that are getting this treatment which i do feel like there is an attempt to make it seem like these are all the same genre of book yeah and that doesn't seem to be happening in the kind of white male author literary spaces. Mm. And I, I don't know, I, on the one hand, I do see how it will compel you to pick up a book when it looks visually similar to a book that you've read and loved. So there is an advantage there. But at the same time, you are not getting a personalized cover that can tell you other things about the story like the abstract images are pretty but Mm -hmm. what what do they say about what you're actually getting into or what the plot is or who the characters are
1: yeah my I guess my real my real politic read could be that they're signifying not that the books are the same but it's attract it's trying to attract the same kind of reader because I'm looking at these Mm -hmm. like these are all picks that could be to use the example we use these could all be Reese Witherspoon book picks They all would be comfortable being in there. So it's the kind of book cover that you want people that will pick up a Reese Witherspoon book to like. And I'm going to say, you know, professional women who like to read and buy print books, just as an example, Mm -hmm. could be the. And so if you liked somebody's daughter and you're trying to use the visual language, say you may not necessarily have one kind of book you like to read, but you like to read in this kind of space. Maybe it's trying to signal something to you. And then like the monarch butterfly, there's going to be imitators, right? Like there's a fake monarch right. butterfly that's actually not poisonous. This is not actually monarch butterfly, but it wants people to think it is. So that that's why these trends can kind of snowball. Like some of them sell well, then another one picks it up. Then it becomes something that art directors have in the back of their pocket. It does look great on social media. It photo- they photograph mm-hmm. extremely well, like you say something with a lot of definition or a lot of, of detail in a one inch high thing is not going to look like anything. So you need it to look yeah. like the idea of a haystack rather than actual haystack, um, yeah. which it certainly does. It, it's food for thought. And again, we get design trends that happen from time to time. Um, it's funny to go back and look at like literary fiction from the 90s, which all had these mm-hmm. same fonts with like metallic yeah. embossed over a very like stark color field. i yeah. look at my copy of Beloved right now. It's like who thought that was a great representation of yeah. what the love it is? So it does come and go. Um, <laughs> and I never know whether I never know whether or not to make that much out of it, uh to be honest yeah. with you. But it was definitely interesting that someone took the time to think about it. And then you more interestingly get the list. And there weren't any you know, somebody's daughter by Ashley Ford is the one I said. It's like okay, it looks like the rest of them I just I've never had a good sense of why book covers matter. Like I know they yeah. do, but how to care about them has never been clear to me. Not that this is right or wrong. But it's, it's mm-hmm. always been difficult to know. Um, so anyway, there's that one there. Anything that hasn't been out yet for 2021? You read ahead, probably. You're getting galleys and stuff. So probably read anything you might want to that, that hasn't come out yet.
0: I wish I read more ahead than I do.
1: Oh, okay, good. So then then, then maybe you're just, uh, tr- your nose is at the waterline. That's okay.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> sorry. I haven't read the November releases yet. That's my mm. October TBR. Yeah. Is there
1: anything you're looking forward to especially then?
0: Yeah, I'm actually one that comes out in, what, a week? Uh, I'm just looking at my stack now. Special Topics and Being a Human by uh, mm. Esper Bergman. That's an Arsenal Pulp Press release, which is my favorite publisher, little publisher in Vancouver, and they do a lot of queer, trans, indigenous, people of color, really mm. interesting books. And this is kind of an oversized, it looks like a mix between a graphic novel and a memoir, hmm. uh, like part general nonfiction, sort of almost self-help. Uh, that's hmm. what it looks like. I've read some of uh, Bergman's other books and really enjoyed them. So that's next up on my TBR.
1: Yeah, that's October. That's next week. I'm just looking at it right yes. now. Yes. Yeah. Paperback only. I guess yeah. maybe the well, if it's a graphic novel kind of hybrid or mm-hmm. illustrated audio, could be hard. A little surprised there's not a um, ebook. Um, yeah, we'll see. Maybe it's coming out soon. All right, cool. Those sound great. Um, let's see. Where do we want to go from here? Where do you want to go next, Danica? I I gave you the, I gave you the agenda. Mm
0: -hmm. You
1: actually wrote about one of these pieces. Let's do that. Let's do that. And I don't think I realized it it when I dropped it in because I knew it was on the site Yeah. and I was going through, I sometimes populate the agenda just as I saw stuff. So this came Mm -hmm. up. Tell me about this story. Tell the folks about this story and we can talk about it a little bit.
0: Yeah, it is honestly one of a million of these local book challenge stories that Kelly and I, Kelly Jensen, who also Mm -hmm. is an editor, have been writing up, which are very depressing, but this one is in Campbell County, Wyoming, and they are threatening the librarians with legal action for the books that they are carrying which are mostly sex education books for kids or puberty books for kids. Um, So, you know, age appropriate books that are aimed at a child audience that are getting called horrible things um, by a few people. And when I was writing this post, I ended up going back and seeing that these names uh, the mm-hmm. Bennett's and this Sisti person who's a pastor um, have come up again and again in book challenges and also in mask mandate protests and things like that. And there are some really off the wall <laughs> accusations happening here. Uh, so, not only are these books being called child pornography when they are mm. just, you know educating kids on what puberty is, Uh, they are also, there's an amazing quote by this woman who is talking about how the teen book section is the darkest place she's ever seen. And she said, I know about the Dungeons and Dragons. I know about their dark basement for teens and enough is enough, which is such a 1980s
1: quote. I was going to say, I feel like I'm 11 years old again with that kind of stuff. That reminds me of the 80s, very much so.
0: And it's talking about Satanism and witchcraft. Um, So, kind of, on the one hand, it is a news story because not only did they go to the police, which is the second post I've written about Mm -hmm. people who have gone to the police over book challenges instead of the right um, process, but they're actually further al- like usually the police would say, yeah, uh huh, we're
1: looking into uh-huh, it. And sure, then- <laughs> thanks a lot, Sue. Yeah, right. Move on down the line.
0: But they actually have like a prosecutor uh, who is researching, I guess, and seeing if they can move it forward. They can actually, so. yeah.
1: That's why I mean, Rebecca and I try to balance covering some of these, but not covering all of them, because we could do yeah. the whole show every week about this. This one mm-hmm. was different to me in that charging the librarians is not something we hear about very often. And I think it's come up, like you said, a couple of times of late, but Mm -hmm. like three or four years ago when we were doing a lot more of this kinds of coverage, this is not something I, this seems like a new phenomenon to actually think about going after the librarians or I assume at some point it'll be a teacher and Mm -hmm. escalating and escalating and finding some sympathetic prosecutor that even if the person is never, um, convicted, Mm -hmm. It has a cooling effect because now librarians and teachers are even more on the line and they have to even stick their, they really have to, not just their job out, which many of them do Mm -hmm. to put in these kinds of places, but they're actually putting their liberty at risk, which, and that's the intended effect, right? Is not necessarily to put one of these librarians behind bars, but to let Mm -hmm. everyone know that if you do, you're having added risk and do you really want to put this book in gay out? This book is gay out. Or any of these, do you really want to meet the public's challenge and it's an, imp- it's an impossible spot to put a librarian in, frankly, I think mm-hmm. it's just a really difficult place. Cause on the one hand, for sure, these are the kind of books that kids need. On the other mm-hmm. hand, is it reasonable to ask a librarian to be subject to prosecution for doing so? It's very tough. Okay.
0: The other part of this one is again, if you read the actual comments, it seems pretty straightforwardly yes. ridiculous, but yes. the Campbell County, commissioner is threatening to cut the library funding because of these books Mm -hmm. um, and has said that he wanted to cut all the funding and then walked it back a little bit but has has basically said don't come to me looking for more resources because they got uh, 35 reports I believe it was in a two-week period of formally uh, and so for each of those they have to read the book completely Mm. and then research it and read all the professional reviews and everything so it's a long process and with 35 of them to go through it's a ton of resources and staff time and yes the commissioner said don't come to me looking for more funding I want to cut your funding instead uh, because of these challenges which is infuriating
1: yeah Yeah, it's You know, it's one of those keep an eye on your local libraries and see what's going on there too. And, you know, Wyoming. I don't even know where this is. I guess this is, it's in Wyoming, but it's Campbell Mm -hmm. County. I don't even know where that is. It's not one of the few Wyoming cities I've been to. Um, But this is, it's also, there's an asymmetry, like the burden of proof is so on the unfair part of it, whereas you say, I mean, it sounds like that's actually a relatively decent review process. We've had some cases where, a, a local official or a mayor or someone else would pull the funding or suspend a librarian without even reading the stuff. Yeah. So at the very least, they make you do that. On the other hand, you can see how you can basically, I don't know, um, almost create a denial-of-service attack to use internet language on the, mm. the system. So mm-hmm. 35 complaints in a two-week period clearly sounds like a concerted effort by some related group of ignoramuses um, to trigger <laughs> a bunch of reviews. Um, so they're, they're fine. They're using the system and they're abusing it in a way mm-hmm. to make it hard for people to do their jobs. And in that case, people will say, you know, enough with, they're hoping people say enough with it. Um, so it's going to take more intestinal fortitude on the people who are already doing difficult things in mm-hmm. areas that aren't sympathetic at all, um, to what they're do. Yeah. So hang tough. And I hope all you librarians mm- out there, especially in Campbell County, Wyoming,
0: mm-hmm. most of these boards are already dealing with a ton yeah. of these, uh, meetings because of mass mandates or other mm-hmm. COVID related stuff. They've been taking a ton of heat already and there I've read other stories of it. A lot of people quitting the library board yeah. over it or worrying for their safety and other things. So it's just on top of an already really difficult situation.
1: There was a piece recently, I think I don't know if it was in the Times or one of the local New York papers. I can't remember Uh, librarians talking about how librarians even in normal times are very much on the front line of society in a way that most people don't understand. And that's especially true now as people with mask mandates and having all sorts of duress and acting out um, in ways you see like go viral on airliners, you know, with flight attendants of various kinds, having to restrain people, people really Mm -hmm. having a hard time. And it's those people that are working the front lines in public services or de facto public services like flight attendants Having to deal with people not respecting the decisions of their board, abusing the individual in front of them, um, and finding weak points in the system to try to basically attack, uh, of yeah. their own accord. Um, so be yeah. kind to your librarians out there for sure. Probably. Yeah, there was just. Good.
0: Uh, there was just a post today by CBC that was talking about Canadian librarians reporting Lauren harassment. Uh, in 2020 and 2021 than before and a lot of really disturbing statistics of of how it is the majority of librarians who have been harassed or Mm -hmm. uh yeah gone through this kind of thing at work
1: you know i remember when i was living in new york there was always these signs like on the subways and on the buses saying you know fines are triple or 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 um punishment. The, according to law, you know, like harassing or assaulting an MTA bus driver carries like triple the penalty of, I guess, normal assault. I wonder if that'd be something that we're thinking about for people who work in public like that. I mean, I don't know if it actually do anything, but like give them some sense that we're looking out for them in a way that's different because their own experience of being in the world is different. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anything to be done there, but how, how can we acknowledge that they're on the front lines in a way that's front lines is a metaphor of course for war and it's not that but it's also not not that in a way um of dealing with the what people are bringing into the library um mm-hmm. every day
0: yeah uh, librarians mm. have always especially recently had to play so many different roles yeah. and had so little support like a lot of libraries are dealing with things that should be under social services but because mm-hmm. all those other services get cut it all just falls to the library to deal with a ton of really difficult things and yeah. really underserved yeah. populations and people who are going through crisis where they don't have the right channels to go through.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, so there's that story that I think is going to be an ongoing one. Um, I, I did it, want to. These things develop. Yeah.
0: I did want to point out that Kelly just had a post that went up today about how to fight book bans and challenges. Hmm. It's an anti-censorship toolkit, so definitely check that out if you want to help prevent stuff like that in your own community. Well, that's good. I
1: hadn't looked at the site today, so I hadn't seen that. That's really good. Is Ban Book Week this week or is it next week? It's coming up soon.
0: It already passed, I think.
1: Um, was Banned Book week last week, or is it this week, Danica? I, I definitely, no, i Yeah, clearly, I, I knew it was around then, but I couldn't remember exactly. We used to do more explicit, like, banned books content for banned books week, but mm-hmm. I think we just sort of, like, cover, you guys, you you and Kelly do a really good job of covering this, so it's kind of a, we, we keep the drumbeat going rather than have the, yeah. the holiday week, um, which has its own purposes, but you guys cover it on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, da, 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 da. where do I want to go? I, I think I want to talk a little bit more about supply chain, um, mm-hmm. Rebecca and I have talked about this to some degree. I'm not sure if you sp- how much time you've looked at this, Danica. I'm, you probably looked at this New York Times piece. What are you What are you mm-hmm. seeing? What are you hearing? Like, what's interesting to you about where we are with the supply chain and what, what the situation publishing find itself with is literally having a hard time getting physical books into buyers' hands.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, in the an earlier career I was a bookseller so Mm -hmm. I'm always really interested in this my partner is a bookseller um, and I actually just talked to the owner of the store that he works for Russell Books and Mm. they were not aware of this at all which I find funny Really? Uh, Yeah well it's uh, used and new books so they deal with a lot of remainders and things like that so there's a little bit more of a cushion but yeah, it's interesting cuz it seems like it's going to be a problem with some titles, but which titles that is is going to you know be a surprise. Yes. Like it's going to be the titles that sell more than expected. So as much as you can generally say we need to be ordering books earlier and people need to put mm-hmm. in their holiday orders, I think at this point we don't know which books it's we're really going to be seeing it with yeah so I think in the next couple months we're going to actually see the results like I think we're hearing a lot about the warning signs but Mm -hmm. I I don't feel like readers are feeling it yet I think that's coming
1: yeah, and part of it is that there hasn't been a breakout hit, right? I mean, there's been mm-hmm. some book talk stuff that are, people are buying backlist, but I think a lot of that's been reordered, and you can get it digitally right. in other places like that. But we don't have a, I don't know, Michelle Obama book, a Barack Obama book. There's not a, I don't even know what's out there that sells a billion copies, a Magnolia Table book or something else like that where a lot of people are going to give them as gifts or buy them on their own accord. So there's right. maybe a little bit of cover—a cover in that the demand will be relatively spread out. Um, mm-hmm. You're not uh, the one that really made news. That Rebecca and I remember from a couple years ago was um, salt, acid, fat, mm-hmm. heat, heat, fat. I can't remember right. the, actually the order of the nouns, but that one was sold out and you couldn't get it because it's a big oversized cookbook. Which, understandably, people want to give as gifts, but also as a physical copy because it's pictures yeah. beautiful. The reason people like that. But I haven't seen one. We haven't had a breakout sort of like crossover commercial fiction hit this year. Mm-hmm. There isn't one like that. Um, which tends to be bad for book selling because those that kind of a hit, like say where the crawdads sing, will get people that don't usually buy a book to buy a book, which is where you get a lot of that extra inventory. On the other hand, there's not a lot of heat on one or two titles. They said, interestingly, things that, one thing they said that things that, people think they might want to go for a reprint for they're making the error of going ahead and ordering the reprint because it's taking so long to get there. Yeah. Um another one that's it looks like a real weak spot will be backlist that doesn't isn't selling in volume so there's no reason to do a reprint so you might see like mm-hmm. weirdly like After Dark by Her- Haruki Murakami is sold out everywhere. Right. Which is kind of like the right it, it, that makes sense to me because it's like a middle tier book by a really famous author. So people know mm-hmm. Murakami. They might buy it or hear about it or whatever, but it's not selling in such quantities that probably that's vintage anchor or someone like that, whoever's doing the paperbacks, is gonna be like, we gotta get new copies of After Dark out there. Yeah. So I that's did, interesting.
0: There's there's a quote in this that I really enjoyed where the the chief executive of Barnes and Noble said that they actually have an advantage in bookstores because he said, if you walk into a supermarket needing bleach and there's no bleach, that's tough luck. You can't really go and buy milk as a substitute. <laughs> but that with books, you know, hopefully they can convince you to buy another book, which is a pretty good point.
1: It's, it's a nice point that all the books, like everything is bleach in a bookstore. Is that what James Daunt was saying right there? It's all bleach?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: did you did you Canadians experience the great yeast outage of uh, late 2020?
0: Yes? Oh man. And the most frustrating thing for me was I'm vegan and I eat uh nutritional yeast as like a seasoning. And all of that was sold out because people thought it was actual yeast (laughs) and bought it accidentally. (laughs) And I was Uh. like, You're just gonna throw it out
1: (laughs) Maybe you could have gone on like Craigslist and found like all the half used jars of nutritional yeah. yeast that people were trying to make sourdough with or whatever.
0: I actually I actually ended up uh, meeting a friend who was like, hey, do you want these bags of nutritional yeast? I accidentally bought them and I was like, it was you! <laughs>
1: oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah I was out there so trying worked. to bake some bread one night and all the yeast. I was driving around Portland like... You know, at eight o'clock in the rain, hitting all the local <laughs> stores looking for yeast. Finally, I'm like, you know, screw it. I'm going to buy the quick rising pizza dough yeast that no one wants to mm-hmm. buy and use it. It didn't work. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I didn't make the mistake of using nutritional yeast um, oh. <laughs> for that. Yeah. I feel like nutritional yeast needs a rebranding. Yeah, we, we should call it something else. Like someone should come on like uh, Jello. The Jell-O, whoever came up with Jell-O for <laughs> gelatin-based, you know, like products should get on the nutritional yeast band is dying for a rebranding
0: the uh, vegan cookbooks call it nooch which i just think is worse <laughs> oh my god it's horrible
1: it is <laughs> it's really bad okay well if that's what they came up with let's stick with nutritional yeast yeah uh, at point it's better than that all right we're gonna take another sponsor break and then i'm gonna pick uh danica's brain about book talk
2: today's episode is brought to you by avid reader press It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Kalyan Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode.
1: I don't even know where to start, Danica. Um, <laughs> why don't I start by not, by passing the buck to you? Mm-hmm. What is it? What is the most interesting thing about book talk for you? Book talk for those of you don't know, which is probably if you're like me, almost everyone, the corner of book talk, or of TikTok that is about books that has its own mm-hmm. community, right? It has its own standards yeah. or its own kind of piece of the world, and of course, it like all things with social media, that's kind of fuzzy, but. Book talk is not just something that I coined to describe talking about books on Book Talk. That's a that's a thing that people talk about. They're active in mm-hmm. um, talking about books on on TikTok. What's what's the what is the interesting stuff going on in in Book Talk?
0: Well, I think what's interesting about Book Talk and TikTok in general is the algorithm that yeah. is so much more powerful than anything else I have ever encountered online like I regularly go on YouTube and think "Eh, there's not really anything I want to watch Mm -hmm. here that has never happened on TikTok I don't think it could ever happen you can just spend hours and hours and hours on it because because you're getting it in these short bites like you're getting you know a minute of content you go through so much of it so quickly that it can very easily tell what you like and what you don't and kind of put you into all these different categories of what other people will like. So it is very much aimed just at you. It is so incredibly targeted to the point where it <laughs> will often know things about you that you didn't know about you. Right. There's, uh, I'm on like queer book talk for the most part. And there are many people who have come out because the TikTok algorithm realize that they were Whoa. queer before they did like it could tell that you were lingering on these posts even when you're not consciously doing it which is definitely into sci-fi world
1: yeah. it is and i hadn't done any of it and like you i've done some time with like short form video on youtube looked at like mm-hmm. instagram reels and videos stuff like that and those places it You kind of have to like squint your eyes to see the algorithm working a little bit, right? Like, you kind of have to like, oh, I see how I got to this review of a car because I'm shopping for cars. Mm -hmm. I looked at this review of cars, something like that. Yeah. YouTube gives me this. And you have to kind of opt into it, right? You have to opt into either clicking on it or liking a post. With TikTok, it's counting everything it can about how long you linger on something, whether or not you scroll back up just a little bit. And then comparing it to the, and doing a whole bunch of machine learning and comparing you to other people who are doing similar kinds of things. So my own story of messing around with TikTok is like, I wasn't really interested in anything, particularly as far as I could tell. I was just like interested in the algorithm. And it was trying Mm -hmm. to sort me so fast that eventually Mm -hmm. I found myself in this bizarro land of like Trump supporters and um, like people touring homes and showing how the construction was faulty. (laughs) And I don't, maybe I did linger because I was like, whoa, look at this Trump supporter and what is going on there? And mm, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, my partner's an architect and we had bought a house a couple years ago that we're fixing up. And maybe I did linger a little bit longer, but suddenly I was like, I felt like I was being plugged into the matrix of algorithm, yeah. social media. It's like, it really is nakedly. Sometimes the content is borderline naked because people will linger on that is like, <laughs> we're just feeding to you all the feed you will eat little piggy and keep feeding mm-hmm. and we'll know your feed and you'll eat more of it. And I was shocked by the power of it. Cause I thought, you know, I've yeah. seen social media. I know. Okay. I have some inoculation, but this was the Delta variant of social media for mm, me. Like I was true. not prepared yeah. for the kinds of things it was doing. I was not sure where to put my eyes. I was not sure how to proceed. <laughs> um And it's a different thing under the sun. Now, so I, I guess that tells you if you're going to wade into. So if you're if you're wading into book talk, what would you? If you want to get into TikTok for books, do you have any mm-hmm. recommendations? Like, how would I do it if I really wanted right. to to burrow down into the bookish part of it?
0: I definitely kind of seeded my account when I first mm-hmm. started. So I just looked up a bunch of book talk tags, and for me specifically, queer book talk tags. So tags, um, okay, tags. So that's important yeah, to know. Because I would start with tags.
1: If you have more, if you're more used to conventional social media where you follow certain accounts mm-hmm. and then you'll see mostly their stuff and then some other stuff algorithmically surfaced for you. TikTok is sort of backwards yeah. in that regard. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So you can follow people. You have two different, you have the for you page and you have the following page and almost no one actually uses the for following right. page everyone uses the for you page so it'll show you things that you have followed but it's much more interested in what you're actually watching right so yeah it it is definitely using tags to try to figure out what you might like so if you kind of start off by watching a lot of things with tags of subjects that you want mm-hmm. to be on your TikTok then it'll at least start you there. I think it'll always end up steering you in different <laughs> directions afterwards, but Well cuz
1: cuz it cuz it, it unless you know perfectly the tags you want to see, your behavior will tell it more about you than the tags will, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um I guess the other thing is, are, are there different kinds of conversations? I know you're into the the mm-hmm. queer book talk or like different kinds of stations happening there than we've seen. I mean, yeah. you've been a book blogger, you've been on YouTube, you've seen all the things too. Like mm-hmm. what makes it different in terms of conversation or style or form?
0: Well, what's interesting is I feel like I have kind of dipped my toe into all of the bookish online media as it got big. So I was on tumblr and then i was on Mm -hmm. youtube and i'm on tiktok and in some ways what's weird is and i can only speak to my corner of book talk because it is so specific um is that a lot of the conversations feel like tumblr conversations from Uh. five years ago like it it really and when i went on to booktube I found the same thing. Or I guess Tumblr conversations from 10 years ago and BookTube conversations <laughs> from five, from years, five ago. years ago. five like, years ago, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's all, you know, it's true that TikTok is mostly young people. So it is mostly teens and people in their early 20s. So most mm-hmm. of those people haven't heard these conversations before. It's all new to them. And they're the same conversations that will come up kind of cyclically on the bookish internet that always seem fascinating when you're hearing them for
1: the first first time. time. Okay, I think I know what you're talking (laughs) about. Can can we think of an example? Because I I know the shape of what you're talking about, but it's like one of those blob colors right now. Like, I know what you mean, but I don't exactly know what it represents.
0: So something like, can you separate the art from the artist? Should you be able to read you know, Orson Scott card. Like, I thought that was a really interesting, productive conversation the first time that I wandered into it. But sure. now that I've been, you know, on the book internet for more than a decade, it's like, okay, yeah, I feel like I've heard like all of these. It's bookish internet
1: 101. Before. Intro to the bookish internet. Yeah. Like, here are the 15 <laughs> blog post prompts that you could, you know, exactly. teach a, how to how to seed your blog with content. Here are this, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean, yeah. And there's there's variations of that too, like all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff. Um,
0: I also, I made two posts because before I officially joined TikTok, I was just like really fascinated by it before I actually used it. I was just right. interested in it. So I did two kind of big research posts where I did the most popular books on BookTok. That was mm-hmm. my first post where I watched like the 50 top book talk videos, and I recorded all of the books that were mentioned and tried to see what the patterns were. It was an amazing, the amazing idea. <laughs> and then I uh, did the same thing for queer book talk recently. And one of the things that I found that I suspected was that queer book talk has a lot of just lists with absolutely no context. Like, you will just <sighs> get a book... Because they're so short, like, you'll just get yeah. a book what talk else video are you supposed that's to do? like yeah it'll be like gay books you should read here's a gay book here's a gay book (laughs) and that's the whole video like you don't know what they're about or why you should read them other than that they're gay but like nothing not whoop (laughs) knocked over my microphone uh not one word describing the book which is a little strange like generally you want a little more context than that when you're recommending a book that's so i mean it
1: it in a lot of ways, you know, I was talking to um, Sharifa, who's uh, an editor or I guess director of content for us, and we were talking about video is not something we've done a whole lot of. We've done some, you've done some with like it's a, it's a part mm-hmm. of the Bookish Internet, but we've been we've made we've made our bones on blog posts, podcasts, yeah. and newsletters for you know just to be honest about it.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: we've kind of gone back and forth on video and in. I think one thing, a mistake we might have made or a short-sightedness was to think of each particular platform as its thing rather than the medium, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas I think ultimately video is going to be around on the internet uh, to talk about books and the way people talk about it. But what does that look like can mean all sorts of things. Because then there's like the YouTube video, which like for a while, the YouTube algorithm was, I mean, again, this might've been years ago, it was rewarding like a 45 minute video So you would get people Mm -hmm. on there just talking about a book for like 25 minutes all at one go.
0: It's the beginning, like, you know, in the early days of YouTube, it rewarded like three-minute videos. Three minutes, yeah,
1: right. I still
0: watch the Vlogbrothers videos and they have like a rule that they can't have. I think it's over four minutes. They're not allowed to go over four (laughs) minutes, which now just seems ludicrous because, yeah, (laughs) people are making like 45 minute YouTube videos. That's that's, uh,
1: seven TikTok videos, Hank. Uh, What are you doing now? And and it did did influence that certain house style of internet video, Mm -hmm. which is rapid fire, almost auctioneer-like yeah debate or high school forensics disc or not discourse but like (laughs) delivery uh in its own
0: yeah and that's big on tiktok still there's it's not everyone but there's definitely a style of tiktok videos that is just yelling at you in very quick sentences with a lot of sharp cuts especially for some reason like cooking tiktoks they'll just be ones that are like throwing ingredients violently i don't know why
1: (laughs) Well, probably they need someone to pause long enough to see what the hell's going on so their algorithm rewards it, right? I mean, it's it's not, I don't want to be reductive, um, which is always a sure way to hear someone that's about to be reductive. (laughs) But a lot of the attention getting um, stratagems remind me of old late night TV infomercials. Mm -hmm. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of the same giant fonts, stuff moving around, people gesticulating wildly, bizarreness that at first you think is bizarreness because they're incompetent, but it's actually bizarreness to get Mm -hmm. you to linger long enough to even pay attention for five seconds be like, what the heck is going on here? Uh, And it works. I mean, there's a reason those, like Crazy Eddie's mattress emporium where he's wearing a monkey suit and jump around on a trampoline shooting t-shirt guns, it gets you long enough to like linger long enough to be like, oh, Mm -hmm. that's Crazy Eddie. And the algorithm is rewarding that and people probably see it in their view numbers and everything else that goes along with it. I guess on a on the long term, do you find do you find yourself thinking like I'm gonna be looking at book talk for the next two years or do you get burnt out? Are you still interested in it? Or does it so is it so like able to hook into your amygdala that it's not really a question of even wanting to do it or not when you're in there?
0: Yeah. I was comparing it somewhere to I feel like it is the brain equivalent of potato chips. Like you are just so ah. Sorry, my dogs keep barking. Uh, you are so evolutionarily kind of designed for it to be appealing. Like it is just mm-hmm. so much stimulus at once, and it's such small doses that you just never get in the natural world. So it is really hard to resist. Like you are yeah. just—you can just scroll and be watching just twenty seconds, and then a minute, and then five seconds, five seconds, and then three minutes. Like it—it it just is. Yeah, it it's something that I feel like the normal human brain can't <laughs>
1: is not equipped resist. To like, yeah, right. yeah,
0: so I it's the only app that I have to put a timer on in my phone because I literally will not realize how long I've spent. Like, mm. I'll, often I'll watch YouTube and be like, oh, I shouldn't be watching this much YouTube, but on TikTok, the time will run out and I'll be like, what are you talking about? It's been like five minutes.
1: Well, because <laughs> no, in a very real, a real way, TikTok doesn't end. There's yeah, no end exactly. point cuz if you watch a minute long video it's short enough that it's like it goes right into the next thing like I think that's mm-hmm. the other thing that struck me is like the seamlessness yeah. of it you just scroll yeah. through and it continues and you stop and you don't and you're not Yeah there's
0: basically Gosh, no mild. kind of friction you know no. like usually you have to click through to whatever you're going to do next but on TikTok the only decision is when you start and when you leave the app. But after that, it's just kind of basically pretty passive.
1: Because your potato chip analogy makes sense, except I think TikTok's more powerful than that in this regard. One is you never have to reach back into the bag. There's always a potato chip in your mouth. (laughs) Like you're always (laughs) chewing a fresh potato chip. You you never have to get another one. And also the potato chip changes just enough that you're not bored of Lay's or you're not bored of Doritos. Like It's like every bite is a different flavored potato chip. And you just keep chewing. And you don't have to go get more. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cost you anything. And you don't even get your hands dirty and you're just chewing on potato chips. In a lot of ways, it feels like the natural end point of this phase of social media that I think really began with Twitter, in Mm -hmm. my estimation, which is the scrolling-based model of social Mm -hmm. media. This is the end. There's nowhere else to go. This heavily video- which is as close to you get to being in person with someone is why i think video short form completely subject to the algorithm i don't even i don't know what what would out tiktok tiktok in terms of algorithm yeah. engagement i can't imagine what it would be which in some ways is sort of terrifying and in some ways i'm kind of glad we got here it's like okay this is what this actually <laughs> looks like okay i can this this isn't a black mirror episode it's just it's it's potato chips in your mouth all the time
0: yeah It's interesting because most TikToks have captions, which is good. That is good. Most TikToks have text, even though most people are watching it with sound. But it makes it so that there's basically no time where you can't watch TikTok. Like, you can watch it on Muse. You can watch it Mm -hmm. on very low volume. Or you can, you know, turn up the volume and listen to all of it. So I think that with a YouTube video, I'm unlikely to be waiting in line at the grocery store and pull out a YouTube video. Like that feels. You got to
1: choose something. Strange. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But right. TikTok, it's yeah, it's always it's always ready. <laughs> it's,
1: always there. it's always ready. Yeah, it's it it's I think it's super interesting and I think like most of these platforms could be used for for a lot of people they're going to find a community and an experience mm-hmm. and language that they haven't encountered before. And then it can do a whole bunch of other stuff. I think it's like every other yeah. social media, except more so. That's my TikTok review. Um,
0: yeah. In terms of community, um, in terms of like the culture, I definitely feel like Tumblr is the closest thing yeah. in my mind. Like it I hadn't thought about like that, Danica, Tumblr.
1: but I that makes a lot of sense to me. I was never a Tumblr forward. I mean, I would go on Tumblr and follow some stuff. I never made mm-hmm. tum- I, I never tumbled except as sort of, I did a satirical Tumblr one time. That was it. Um, it was called as I lay frying. It was pictures of donuts with literary quotes next to them. Um, amazing. Uh, you know, we all have our thing back in the two thousands. <laughs> um, but you're right. It does feel more like that. And the vi- I guess it does sacrifice the trade-off TikTok is making is if, if you're a TikToker, I guess if you're a huge person, that's a different deal, but you're, you're kind of trading your own following for the lottery of something going viral beyond your wildest mm-hmm. dreams. Um,
0: yeah, it definitely feels like on TikTok, it. I think it's more. It's easier to make a TikTok than it is to make most things. You yes, know, it's easier right. than a blog post or a video. But I think the TikTok algorithm is more demanding than any other one. Yeah. Like you need to be posting all the time, and you need to be posting. Really good stuff. Like you, you have no guarantee that just because a million people saw your last TikTok that you're going to get ten thousand views this time.
1: I think that's so different than how, well, frankly, a company like ours and a lot of digital media companies built their audience, which is you build Mm -hmm. sort of the the network, meaning you have a newsletter, you they follow you on Facebook, they follow you on Instagram, maybe subscribe to a podcast. Back in the day, follow you on Tumblr or Pinterest or else. And so that was Mm -hmm. their way of sort of subscribing to your content because they would go to that platform and the platforms really until, really until I guess YouTube went more algorithm heavy a few, I don't know, five or six years ago now, especially, but Facebook did it in mid 2014 when the algorithm started deciding what you saw more than your following list. Mm -hmm. Um, That would, that would choose, you would be incentivized to cultivate a following Rather than serving the algorithm. And TikTok right. is a little bit more like SEO in that regard, whereas mm-hmm. you can get a lot of traffic from SEO because you're providing the scratch to somebody's itch, but they're not going to come back and follow you again just because you answered that one particular question or they, they watched you uh, as a Trump supporter ride a rodeo bowl through a, a blow up of Joe <laughs> Biden, which is a thing I saw on TikTok. Now, maybe that gets 15 million views, but the next one could get 10. As far as I can tell, like the feast or famine Mm -hmm. of it is a new phenomenon. I, I had, I don't know enough about like what to do if you want to go viral on TikTok to know what the anti patterns on the creation side are, but I can kind of imagine Mm -hmm. what they are just seeing what they are on the consumer side. What else, what Mm -hmm. else should people, are are we, I'm not trying to scare people off. It sounded like I'm trying to scare people Mm -hmm. off. I was expecting to be more, (laughs) um, old man about it, which I'm not, I guess I was, I was unprepared for my defenses to be so down. Um, initially. So I need to regroup a little bit because I want to explore it more because I think there's a lot of interesting mm-hmm. things that are like a lot of social yeah. media platforms. They have their good or use. What else should people know if they want to dip their toes into it?
0: I mean, definitely anything that you are interested in is going to be on TikTok. Like all of your possible interests are there. Uh, it can be a really great place. Like I've seen really interesting content there and, and good conversations and great community like there seems to be especially like in my little queer book talk world Mm. there's great connections that are being made and also it does the flip side of the kind of terrifying part of the algorithm is it does help you discover things that you didn't even know you were interested in. that is
1: i was thinking about that i was like what what would tiktok serve me that i would be gladly surprised to see uh <laughs> uh uh served to me. I, I need to figure out a way like, to get a little bit more. It'll
0: of that. it'll just show me, you know, someone painting pottery with a feminist quote being read out over top of it. It's like, wow, well, I wouldn't look for this, but it's nice.
1: <laughs> it's like Bob Ross just for you is like kind of what gonna yeah. you in that. It's like what is the most niche version of Bob Ross we can serve, danica Oh, there it is. Right there. That is remarkable.
0: And th- there's lots of really practical stuff too, like people mm. who are sharing tips. There's, uh, yeah, all sorts of different people who tips. will give you, I do yeah, love tips. life hacks or whatever, but actually practical ones from experts mm. and people who are doing debunking. Like Hank Green has some fun videos and also a lot of really informational ones. Yeah, there's there's everything, anything you want.
1: Anything you <laughs> it want is there whatever yeah. potato chip you like maybe exactly, you like a pork yeah. crackling or uh bugles or uh soft pretzels mm-hmm. it'll put whatever in your mouth um, that you would like to <laughs> chew on forever and ever amen i'm going to do one more sponsor break and there's a couple things i want to shout out and we'll uh, be done for the day there'll be a link in the show notes to this um we haven't done we haven't shouted out one of these in a while and i'm not sure if there hasn't been as many or i haven't seen it Um, But these new kinds of awards, fellowships, opportunities for people to get into or further their nascent writing careers. Um, These are the Penguin Random House Creative Writing Awards. Um, Next Generation of Readers and Authors Promoting Diverse Voices in Stories. Um, This one is college scholarships of up to $10,000 each to five U.S. high school seniors um, for creative writing. Put a link in the show notes there. I hope I didn't miss that deadline. Did I miss that?
0: No, it's, it says deadline. Oh, February. February, February 2022. 2022. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The thing that I didn't remember that I remembered, but I knew there was some wrinkle, they're only going to accept 1,000 applications, which I don't think oh. I've ever seen that before. Yeah. I don't know why that would be. Um, I guess by the time they get 1,000 applications, I think they can find five good ones, and then it's just more work to go through them all. I don't
0: know. Yeah. That's I mean, they can. you can submit up to 10 pages, so... That's yeah, ten thousand pages. That's ten thousand pages. Probably
1: <laughs> have you ever done like a have you ever done admissions or awards jurying at all, Danica? Have you done no. that before? I have a very little bit. When I was in grad school I sat on the admissions committee one year and then I did some for um uh, a nonprofit that did some grants for young writers. I did that. It sounds it sounds like I'm gonna read that's gonna be great. I'm gonna read all these and then after page four thousand, it's like, Oh my god, <laughs> So I, I, I think this is reasonable. I'm not throwing any shade on the first 1,000 because that means, first of all, that each individual applicant only has, what, a 0.05% chance of actually getting it. <laughs> so there's diminishing returns to, to the new applicants, but also in terms of, at that point, you'd be better off just giving more money rather than staffing up to handle mm-hmm. all the um, the awards. But it hasn't been met. So it means you, at, le- at the very least, you have a 5 in 1,000 shot. Wait, is it 5 or 10? 10. I think it's five. Oh no, five, five, five. Ten thousand dollars for five people. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's one I wanted to do too. And again, heartwarming stories. This is always fun. Um, Rebecca is usually the one who uh, is uh, finding and scouting. But this is, I don't know, man. I don't know why. I guess lemonade is now just like the 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 mental model for what kids can sell to raise money for things. But we've got a nine-year-old. <laughs> Um, selling books or selling lemonade to help stop racism by making school libraries more inclusive. Um, this is Emmy Kim from Provo, Utah uh, told good morning America that came up with the idea of bringing more diverse books that feature people of color into school libraries, something Amy said she believes will help people understand one another. She's hoping for 15 books for her school. She said um, really cool to see people embracing it um, so far right now. All 13 elementary schools have the books at this point that she's raised. Let's see, how many were there here? She's raised money for a whole bunch.
0: She did two different uh, lemonade stands. So I think the first one was something like $750. Yeah, the
1: the second one raised
2: $3,029.
1: So, Emmy, may your efforts succeed. May yeah. may you be a example to all people who intersect with public libraries. Um, very cool job to see what you do there. someday if you're looking for a job in audience development, Emmy and uh, get it, hit it, hit us up in 15 years when you're out of school. You got some good stuff going. I don't know. I the iStock the the cover image. They they use some sort of, like, you know this from editing the site and, like, finding stuff. I was like, I cannot mm-hmm. – this is – they're, like, mason jars with, like, re, re, recyclable <laughs> straws, with, mason jars with handles and, like, beautiful lime wedges. Afterwards, I was like, oh, my God, Emmy, maybe you should go into the hospitality, but then it's just a, uh, <laughs> sh- a shutterstock of yeah. lemonades. Um, anyway, that's that. Danica, it was so fun to have you. We'll have to have you come back yeah.
0: sometime. Yeah, this was great. Thank you for having me.
1: Do you do you have a – um. A favorite kind of bookish news story that you follow. What is the one that you are? Oh, that gets you if you f- see a bookish. Is it? Is it the library challenges? Teachers. What is it? What gets you when you see a book related story?
0: I definitely have made it kind of a personal mission to follow the book challenges, yeah. and I also I write for the Our Queer Shelves newsletter, so I always try to keep up with all the queer book related news. Those are my my two main ones.
1: Yeah, that's a good, I, that's a good shout out. I for, I didn't think to shout that out. I was going to say you can listen to Danica talk with Lib and all the books, um, but yeah, you write Queer Shells, which is mm-hmm. boy, is it weekly? I can't remember. It's not biweekly, yeah, is it? It's weekly. It's weekly newsletter for yeah. bookriot. dot com. Um, that Danica's rounding up all kinds of stuff for, I, and mm-hmm. you're just you're just seeding that with book talk stuff. Don't lie. That's just all book talk, <laughs> video curation, right?
0: I should I should start doing that. <laughs>
1: Uh, Danica, thank you so much. Thank you for indulging my curiosity uh, about TikTok. I hope I didn't sound too much like uh, old man shakes hand at clouds, but I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to learn.
0: That's great.
1: <laughs> all right. You can find links to this and all episodes of the book riot podcast at slash listen. You can choose an email uh, podcast at bookriot.com. Also, if you're interested in our current opening, uh, current opening for an ad sales manager, bookradcom slash join dash us slash as you know that's a URL convention join spell join and then dash the punctuation mark us also they'll put a link in the show notes there um, that's it Danica we'll talk to you next time talk to you next time